Well, hey, I hope you all had a great Christmas uh, day yesterday. Uh, I know I did, and, uh, and it's over, and now you all can start paying for it. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, this morning we're going to finish up our Advent series. Uh, and in this Advent uh, series, we've been asking and answering uh, the question from the Bible, uh, why did the Father send His Son into the world? And before we get into the answers, I just want you to know, I think Christmas, kind of I think this of every day of our lives, but I think Christmas especially uh, should be a time uh, when we uh, are really amazed and humbled uh, by the goodness of God, especially during the season when you realize what it's all about. Christmas should amaze and humble us uh, because Jesus came to bring light to a dark world. Like we needed someone to help us see clearly, to help us see ourselves clearly, the world clearly, help us to see clearly so we could find our way home. And we could never do that by ourselves. And that should amaze and humble you. Like someone, we needed someone to bring hope to the hopeless. And so Jesus came to bring light to a dark world. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. Like we needed someone who could help us to turn from the darkness in the world and in our own hearts. And we could never do that by ourselves. We could never figure out how to do that. We could not turn over enough new leaves uh, to really change. We couldn't have enough New Year's resolutions to make things right. Like we needed someone who could bring joy to those who were enslaved to sin, enslaved to their passions, and enslaved to their past. And Jesus came to do just that. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Like we needed somebody who would come and defeat all of our enemies, both outside of us and inside of us, because once again, we could never do that by ourselves. We needed someone to bring peace by waging a war on sin and evil and that's what Jesus did and this morning we'll end the series with Jesus came to be the savior of the world Jesus came to be the savior of the world if you get a copy of the Bible you can turn it to first John chapter 4 we'll be in that uh, chapter for most of our time John writes in verse 14, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Could you be any more clear than that? Like the purpose of Jesus being here was to be the Savior of the world. That's what He came for. Like we needed someone who could bring us all the way home because we could never get there by ourselves. Like, and so Jesus came to show love to those who are unlovable, which is, by the way, you and me. Like, the incarnation of the Son of God is not a statement about your loveliness or about the fact that you have some sort of hidden potential that only God sees. The incarnation of the Son of God is a statement about God's love, His character, His ability to love even the unlovable. And so a few verses earlier, beginning in verse 7 in this chapter, John begins the flow of thought about what God's love is like. In fact, in 15 verses, we won't look at all of them, but in 15 straight verses, he uses the word love 27 different times. 
And so what is love beyond you know, the most prominent theme in all the Christmas movies that you've watched over this season? You know, all the TV shows, songs that you listen to, books that you read. Like we naturally will come to a word like love with our own definition because of our own culture or how we grew up or, you know, what's been said to us or done to us. Like our culture will tell us that love is simply an irrational feeling. Like our, our love is something that kind of happens to us. You know, we find ourselves in love. Like love is something that we fall into like a ditch or fall out of like a hammock. But what is love? Verse 7 tells us, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Like God is the source of all true love. Like that means that God is the one who loves the best and that God is the one who gets to define love. And we'll find later in this passage that God himself is the definition of love. The word used here and throughout this passage is the word agape, which is the word primarily in the New Testament used for the kind of love God has for us. It's like a love of commitment, not merely of feelings. Feelings are there. Like emotion is there, but emotion is more the trailer, not the driver. Like agape love is a love of commitment that brings with it all the emotion, all the warm feelings and fuzzies and all that kind of stuff. I have a friend whose daughter got the word agape tattooed on her arm. And I used to make fun of her because it looked kind of like it says Aggie. And I'm like, I didn't know you went to A&M. And she's like, every time, it's agape. And so I don't make fun of her anymore because my daughter got a tattoo that says Hosanna. And it looks to me like it really says Bosnia. And I always say, I, I didn't know you've been to Bosnia. And so I don't make fun of her anymore. But the word agape here is a rich word. It's the word that you used, even if you didn't know it, when you were committing yourself in your wedding vows. Like you were not in front of the preacher and your family and the justice of the peace or whoever, and you weren't saying, I uh, pledge this day to always feel this way about you. I mean, do you always feel the same about your spouse? Have you, I mean, ever been, I don't know, irritated with your spouse? Anybody? Don't show your hands. You'll be in trouble. Good. That was good restraint. Man, that was good. Like you, we've all been irritated. We fall in and out of love all the time. When you got married, you were not pledging to have the same feelings all the time. You were making a commitment of the will and your feelings followed it. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love, not love is God. Like our culture has switched it uh, the other way around. And in their mind, God is defined by their own personal definition of love. Like let me decide what my definition of love is, like what love looks like, how it would behave, how it would act in any situation, what it would allow and what it would restrict. And then I will use that definition to define God for me. I'll project my definition of love on God. But God is the source. 
God is the definition of love, not the other way around. Love comes from God. He doesn't come from love. And so John writes, God is love. And when he says that, he's not identifying simply a quality that God possesses. Or else he would say God is loving, because we know that's true. But when he says God is love, he's making a statement about the essence of God's very being. Not simply that God loves, but that he is in his essence, love. Like we see this in the doctrine of the Trinity. Like because God is love, he did not need us. And because he is triune, he did not need us to express his love. He didn't create mankind out of any deep need within him to have somebody to love for all of eternity. Like in the very heart of the Godhead, there was this dynamic interrelationship of love where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were moving toward each other in this divine dance of love for all eternity, this constant interaction. And so here God defines love by Himself, and then He, in verse 9, begins to demonstrate that love. It says, in this the love of God has been made manifest, made visible among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Like John is saying, listen, God showed us His love. God showed us what love is. We have seen it with our own eyes. Like this is very much the, the way John writes. You read this in the book of Revelation and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and in the Gospel of John. John writes as an eyewitness. Like in, first, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, he says that we beheld His glory. Like we saw with our own eyes the glory of God. He kicks off this book, 1st John, with these words. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. The one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. Like John writing 30 years after the resurrection, you can still sense the amazement in his voice. I can't believe it. Like we saw life. We saw the light of the world. We saw the glory of God. We touched him with our own hands like God showed us his love and we have seen it with our own eyes. Well, what does love look like? Well, it looks like this, that God sent His only Son. He sent His best, and He sent His only on our behalf. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is the one who took the initiative not because He saw a spark in us and wanted to reciprocate. God took the initiative. What does love look like? It looks like God sending His best, sending His only 
while we were at our worst. I mean, think about it. Just like Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on to explain. He says, you know what? If, if you're a good guy, you might possibly, in a rare situation, die for somebody else who's pretty awesome. Like if you're walking down the street, right, and you see Mother Teresa crossing the street and a bus is coming toward her and is about to run her over, I mean, you may think, as a good person, you know what, she's had a good run. She's pretty old. She's been around for a while. You know, she's going to heaven. But chances are, if you're a good person and you see Mother Teresa about to be hit by a bus, you're going to run and push her out of the way. You'll probably break her hip. You know, that's on you, but you saved her life and now you're dead. But if you see me walking down the street and you see a bus coming toward me, you're going to think, well, you know, it's not like the guy's Mother Teresa. (laughs) I mean, he's not Billy Graham. I mean, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Bobby. All right. You know, I, I think we could do without one more Bobby. And you let the bus run me over. I mean, that's the point Paul is making. Paul is saying, if you're really a good person, you might, but not necessarily, but you might die for a righteous person. Who in the world would die for a rapist? Who would die for a child molester? Who would die for a murderer? Who would die for somebody who steals from their mom's purse? No one. That's the point Paul is making. While we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us in verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God showed His love by sending His Son as Savior. Like we read about a couple months back when we were reading through the book of Titus. When the kindness and love of, our, of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. When did the kindness of love and love of God appear? And John is saying here, listen, we have seen the kindness and love of God with our own eyes. What is John talking about? Well, I have a little video clip that I want to show you. We're going to have to get it real dark in here because it's a dark scene, but I want to show you what we're talking about. Well, in case you haven't seen The Chosen yet, uh, you should. And spoiler alert, it's about Jesus. Uh, so I love how that scene wraps up uh, with James and John sitting there on the steps uh, with John saying, shh. And he's writing it down because that's what he did. Like we have seen it with our own eyes. We have touched it with our own hands. God loves the world in this way. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like in that one verse, you see the gospel, right? God loves the world. And because God loves, God gives His only Son. God loves and God gave. And how do we respond? We believe. Like we believe that God sent His Son into the world to save us so that we would not perish. And when we believe, we have 
Like God loves, and so God gave. And we believe, and we have. That's the message of the Gospel. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message that should amaze and humble you. On your outlines, uh, I've kind of put it together this way. Jesus, who made everything, made Himself what He had never been human so the father could make him what he could never be sin so we could be made what we could never be righteous and just to unpack that for you jesus first who made everything john writes in first in in the first chapter of the gospel of john All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then he goes on to say, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And then Hebrews chapter 1 puts it this way, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus made everything. And Jesus, who made everything, made Himself something that He had never been. I mean, certainly, there are things that God has not and cannot do. Because God is holy. He does not sin. But Jesus became something that was good, a human, yet without sin, something He had never been. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but He emptied Himself. Taking on the form of a a servant and being born in the likeness of men. I love how the NIV puts it. It says that word, uh, emptied Himself, translates it this way. Jesus made Himself Nothing. Like volumes have been written just to unpack the one Greek word that's used there, the word kenosis. Simply put, Jesus, who made everything, made Himself nothing. Like this is the promise that we had received 700 years earlier through the prophet Isaiah who wrote, that the Messiah would grow up before Him, God, like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. The Messiah would have no form or majesty that we should look at and no beauty that we should desire Him. 
It says that he would be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he would be despised and we would esteem him not. Jesus, who had all majesty, made himself vulnerable. Like 2 Corinthians 8 9 puts it this way. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Jesus, who had all riches, made Himself poor for you. And then Hebrews 2.9, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. Jesus, who had all power and authority, made Himself killable. Like the incarnation, as Wayne Grudem writes, is the most amazing miracle in the world. He writes, the incarnation is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible, far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join Himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. Are you amazed? Jesus, who made everything, made Himself what He had never been, human. So the Father could make Him what He could never be, sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. Guys, without exaggeration, I, I can say that nothing ever written is more profound than God made Jesus to be sin for us. I mean, this too was promised 700 years earlier in Isaiah 53, where it says, Surely the Messiah has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. All us like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that when John the Baptist sees Jesus stepping down into the baptismal waters, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, as a Jew, knew that the only way a lamb could take away sin was by being slain. Galatians 3.13 puts it this way, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed 
is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Does that amaze you? Like if the thought of Jesus becoming a curse for us, becoming sin for us, does not amaze you, chances are the reason it doesn't is because you're still a little amazed with yourself. You think that this was unnecessary. You still have too lofty a view of you and too lowly a view of God. Jesus who made everything, made Himself what He had never been human so that the Father could make us what He, what, uh, make Him what He could never be, sin, so that we could be made what we could never be, righteous. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. Isaiah 53.10. Literally, it was the will of the Lord. It was, it pleased the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will, <coughs> the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. This is what Paul means when he says in Romans 8, verse 3, For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us what the law could never do what we could never do God did by sending his only and his best while we were at our worst therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed behold the new has come and verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. And just in conclusion, Paul puts it this way, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst sinners, then others will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. God loves, and so God gave. And we believe, and we have. And so as we remember the sacrifice of Christ at this table in a moment, as the band comes forward, I want you to come up during the first song and take the communion elements, take them back to your seat, and we'll take them together. But I want us to pray now and prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You who made everything, the Creator 
of all things, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. You who made everything made yourself nothing. You made yourself what you had never been, human. So that your Father could make you what you could never be, sin. So that we could be made what we could never hope to be made, righteous. But thank you that that's what this table is all about. We worship you. We are amazed by you and are humbled by you this Christmas season, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Well, hey, I won't see uh, most of y'all before next year. Uh, and so I will be sending y'all an email uh, in the next couple days to help you get uh, started out right in the new year, especially in your uh, devotional life and prayer life. And so be looking for that. If you don't, uh, if you don't receive our emails, you can email us at info at huddobible.com and we'll make sure you're added to that list so you can get some resources to start the, the year out uh, well. Uh, we want to close in prayer and remember uh, the, the family of one of our uh, founding members of this church. Uh, Deborah Tammon went home to be with the Lord a couple days before uh, Christmas. Uh, her husband, Skip, uh, is uh, one of the founding elders of this church, and we want to remember him and their kids and grandkids. Also, uh, Pastor Michael called us this morning and asked us to pray for his granddaughter, Claire, uh, you know, uh, for those of you who are members here, you know his uh, granddaughter is 17. She has a brain tumor and uh, is in uh, treatment for that. And so she's in the hospital uh, this morning. And so we want to be praying for her, uh, Claire Hall, and praying for her healing. So let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, Father, our heart uh, goes out to Skip and to his family. And Lord, we just can't can't imagine what he's going through just magnified even by the fact that it's it's Christmas and it's a new year and he's dealing with the loss of the woman that he loved and his his wife his partner his best friend and Lord I ask that you would bring him comfort that he would sense your nearness uh, that he would be confident that uh, even now Deborah is singing the song without beginning And uh, Father, we pray for Claire Hall. And uh, God, we, God our, we ask as uh, Michael's church family, as his friends and those who love him, that you would spare her, God, that you would heal her. Lord, that you would give her many years upon this earth uh, to know you and to serve you and to tell others about you. Lord, I, bring, I pray you'd bring healing to her body and comfort in this time to her family that love her so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, y'all have a great new year. See you next year.